I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who is conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. On the third day he rose again, he ascended into heaven, he is seated at the right hand of the Father, and he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Greetings and salutations in the name of our Lord. Welcome to another episode of Coffee, the Bible and Page. I'm Paige, your caffeine-imbued host, and today we're going to be looking at Leviticus chapter 9. Uh, today you're also going to see a prime example of sometimes what thinking with my mouth open looks and sounds like. Uh, we're going to be reading an event that happened at, after the, the priest Aaron and his sons were consecrated, and the very first time that the tabernacle and the altar and all these things were put into uh, put to work, and God manifests himself in a powerful, powerful way. Fire comes out from the presence of God and devours a sacrifice, and the people worship and fall on their face before him. A powerful experience. And I'm going to read that to you. And then I'm going to introduce you to the question that came into my mind after reading it. And I hope it's not too random for you, but believe it or not, I believe there's a connection. Well, I'll leave that for you to decide. By the way, when I do a devotional, this is kind of the way it works for me. I'll read it, and then I don't try to force anything out of the text that I think I need to be learning from it. I'm not going to do that. I'm going to read the text, and then I'm going to go where my mind takes me and ask the questions that pop up and try to answer them myself. All right? Fantastic. Let's get started. On the eighth day, Moses summoned Aaron and his sons and the elders of Israel. He said to Aaron, take a bull calf for your sin offerings and a ram for your burnt offering, both without defect, and present them before the Lord. Then say to the Israelites, take a male goat for a sin offering, a calf and a lamb, both a year old and without defect for a burnt offering, and an ox and a ram for a fellowship offering to sacrifice before the Lord, together with a grain offering mixed with olive oil. For today, the Lord will appear to you. They took the things Moses commanded to the front of the tent of meeting, and the entire assembly came near and stood before the Lord. Then Moses said, this is what the Lord has commanded you to do so that the glory of the Lord may appear to you. Moses said to Aaron, Come to the altar and sacrifice your sin offering and your burnt offering and make atonement for yourself and the people. Sacrifice the offering that is for the people and make atonement for them as the Lord has commanded. So Aaron came to the altar and slaughtered the calf as a sin offering for himself. His sons brought the blood to him and he dipped his finger into the blood and put it on the horns of the altar. The rest of the blood he poured out at the base of the altar, and on the altar he burned the fat, the kidneys, and the long lobe of the liver from the sin offering, as the Lord commanded Moses, the flesh and the hide he burned outside the camp. 
Then he slaughtered the burnt offering. His sons handed him the blood, and he splashed it against the sides of the altar. They handed him the burnt offering piece by piece, including the head, and he burned them on the altar. He washed the internal organs and the legs and burned them on top of the burnt offering on the altar. Aaron then brought the offering that was for the people. He took the goat for the people's sin offering and slaughtered it and offered it for a sin offering as he did with the first one. He brought the burnt offering and offered it in the prescribed way. He also brought the grain offering, took a handful of it and burned it on the altar in addition to the morning's burnt offering. He slaughtered the ox and the ram as a fellowship offering for the people. His sons handed him the blood and he splashed it against the sides of the altar. But the fat portions of the ox and the ram, the fat tail, the layer of fat, the kidneys and the long lobe of the liver, these they laid on the breasts and then Aaron burned the fat on the altar. Aaron waved the breasts and the right thigh before the Lord as a wave offering as Moses commanded. Then Aaron lifted his hands toward the people and blessed them. And having sacrificed a sin offering, the burnt offering and the fellowship offering, he stepped down. Moses and Aaron then went into the tent of meeting. And when they came out, they blessed the people. And the glory of the Lord appeared to all the people. Fire came out from the presence of the Lord and consumed the burnt offering and the fat portions on the altar. And when all the people saw it, they shouted for joy and fell face down. Hmm. I'm reading this and, I, and I'm imagining what it must have been like for them to see fire come out and consume the the offering on the on the altar it, you know basically god uh giving a stamp of approval to what aaron and his sons had done and what moses had done and it was like god was hanging up an open for business sign <laughs> in the tabernacle because from this moment on that's what aaron and his sons would be doing and uh here's the question that popped into my brain why don't we experience this kind of stuff today? And I could come up with all sorts of self-flagellating reasons, um, but it, it can't be our sin nature because that hasn't changed. They still had that sin nature back then and God showed up. And you know, and you read all these places in the Old Testament where God appeared and talked to Noah or talked to Abraham where fire comes out and consumes this sacrifice. And as we read through the Old Testament, we're gonna read where God showed up this way or that way miraculously. You, you read through the New Testament and there's people speaking in tongues, people getting healed, people prophesying. There's uh, people being raised from the dead. Uh, you, it, you read all this stuff and you kind of get a little depressed because why isn't this stuff happening like that today? And it occurred to me that when we read the Bible, we're reading a compressed narrative. All right, the authors are telling us what we need to know about God and the way he works, the way he operates. And so signs and wonders and miracles and all that stuff, that's gonna be in there. But when we read it, we get the impression that this was like a day-to-day -day thing sometimes, at least I used to. And it wasn't until many years after being a Christian for a long time that I began to realize that the book of Acts, for instance, uh, it's a very finite, small number of chapters to read. Uh, 
and there's all these miracles and everything that's happening, signs and wonders. But in essence, the book of Acts covers a 40 to 50 year time frame. And when you spread these miracles and acts and signs and wonders out over those 40 to 50 years, it's not an everyday occurrence. It's the apostles are not walking around healing everybody every day. There's not prophetic utterances in every day. God doesn't show up in that way every day. And in the Old Testament, sometimes there's months or years between events. For instance, um, there's as much as a year between the time that God uh, destroyed Pharaoh's army and when the Israelites get to the place where they're being where they're camping right now. But when you read the Bible, it's like God destroys Pharaoh's army, boom, Israel's at Mount Sinai, there's smoke, there's fire, God speaks, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. There, there could have been as much as a year between the time Pharaoh was destroyed and they make it to Sinai. And that's a year in which, but for all intents and purposes, God wasn't manifesting himself as openly as he just did in this chapter with fire coming out and consuming the altar. And that brings me comfort. See, now I look at my life and I could sit here for the next 10 or 15 minutes and tell you of the half dozen times in my life that God has shown up in a powerful, palpable way the day I was saved. The day when he dealt with me about what ministry I was to have in the body of Christ. Powerful moment. Um, it was like God was sitting in the car seat next to me. I won't say I heard an audible voice, but I won't say I didn't. Whether it's just, it was that powerful experience. My senses were just overwhelmed with the power and the presence of God and the words that he spoke into my heart. Uh, there was a time when I felt the power and majesty of God as he delivered us from that tornado that fallen out of the back of Hurricane Hugo. I'm telling you, that was an incredible moment to pray the prayer that I prayed and then to have the funnel of that tornado lift up above my house and come down on the other side, leave my house intact for the most part. There was a time when uh, my daughter was deathly ill and in a doctor's office, I laid my hand on her and I rebuked the fever like I had read Jesus had done with Peter's mother-in-law and my daughter was healed. That was a powerful moment for me. That was a moment where I sensed the presence and power of God in a way that was, oh, I've had probably three or four dreams where I have interacted directly with Jesus in my dreams. And these weren't like surreal dreams, like un unbelievable type things. I mean, and I can remember each detail of each of these dreams. I know God spoke to me in those dreams. Now, I tell you about all this. And the first impression that some people might get was that this is an everyday thing for me. That's Those events have been spread out over a nearly 50-year walk with God. The norm for me 
is not that. I don't hear God's voice every day. I don't see his physical intervention in a miraculous way in my life every day. But that doesn't change the way I walk. You know, it's like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. All right, the king's getting ready to throw them into the oven, right? Because they won't bow down and worship him. And their response to him was, God may or more, God may or may not deliver us from that fire, O king, but know this. If he does not, we will not bow our knee to you. That's the attitude I like to think I have. Should the time come when I'm asked to deny my God, I hope and pray that that is my exact answer. Hear this. Whether or not God delivers me, and he can, but if he chooses not to, I will not bow my knee to you. I will not deny him. I think there's greater glory in that attitude than what Israel just experienced in chapter 9. Because what most people tend to forget, oh, I don't know, I can't speak for most people. I can speak to me. They just saw a visible manifestation of the power and glory of God. The fire comes out from the tabernacle and it consumes that sacrifice. It was God. And they bowed down. They fell face first, prostrate, and they worshiped. And yet this same generation was going to be denied later entrance into the Holy Land because of their disobedience and their rebellion. So this event did not change their hearts. And that's the part that I find particularly troubling. You would think that something like that would be a life-changing event that would change your life forever. Apparently, it did not have that effect. It had a momentary effect. They fell to their face and worshiped. But it won't be long before they're going to be griping and complaining. And God is eventually going to deny this generation entrance into the promised land. So, what can I draw from all of this? I don't want to give the wrong impression. I, I don't want to give the impression that my walk with God is hearing his voice every day and seeing miraculous interventions every day, signs and wonders and the like. But at the same time, I don't want you to think that I'm wandering through a forest of darkness <laughs> waiting for God to show up. No, there's a peace of God that transcends all understanding in my heart. And there is a certainty that this God sees me and knows me. When I went through bankruptcy, I lost my job. Darkest time in my life, I think, as a married man and a provider for my family, for the first time in my life, I was unable to provide for my family. And God did not manifest himself miraculously. There was no miraculous sum that showed up that delivered me from my indebtedness. I had been stupid with my money. But God did show up in the fact that he walked me through it. And then at the end of that first year, 
I remember telling somebody once, um, I figured it out. Our break-even point that first year was 21000 That's what we needed, $21,000 that year to keep the lights on, keep some food in the refrigerator, and keep us going long enough for us to sell the house to get out from under that, that debt, which is what happened. Um, I put a for sale sign up in the house, and within three days, we had three offers. And I took the best offer, and I got a significant uh, return on my investment in that house, and I was able to pay off the bankruptcy. But between the time I went bankrupt and that point, I woke up every day praying, asking God for deliverance, asking God for forgiveness, even more than deliverance. Um, I felt I didn't deli- I didn't deserve deliverance. But that time of being in the dark was one of the most valuable, powerful times of my life. And it far outstrips any of the other times that God showed up in a powerful manifest way in many ways. Um, I don't, I'm not denigrating the times that I had those special moments with God. I think that I call those signpost moments. You know, it's where God leaves no doubt that he sees you. Um, he is the God who sees. And every now and then he gives, he has given me an experience, a, a signpost that I can stick in the dirt. And when I'm feeling doubt, I can look back at that signpost and say, no, 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 God knows me. He sees me. He's with me. And I have a quiet assurance in my heart. So I'm never without him. But my point in all of this comes from the question that was generated by reading this account of God showing up and devouring the sacrifice in that powerful moment that all of Israel fell to their face and worshiped. This event didn't change their lives, from what I could see. And I can honestly say that the powerful moments that God manifested himself to me didn't change my life in the sense that from that moment on, I didn't sin because we all know the end of that story. I have sinned. I am a sinner. But at the same time, I can look back at that time where God healed my daughter. I can look back at the time when God lifted the tornado over the house I was with my family in. I can look at the time that God got me through my first year of bankruptcy, and I don't know where that extra money came from. I can't tell you. We only made ten thousand, or $11,000 that year. We needed twenty one to break even. Where did the extra ten grand come from? Can't tell you. Nobody gave it to me. It's just that when a bill was due, money was in the checkbook to pay it. I know that's not good math, but honestly, I can't tell you how it worked out. It just did. Each one of these signpost experiences, when I'm feeling the darkness, I can look at them and go, yeah, God knows me. He sees me. And I'm sure there were people in Israel that will look back at this moment 
when fire devoured the sacrifice, when fire came out of the holy place and devoured the sacrifice in the altar, that they can look back and say, oh, there's a God who sees. But these special events in my life, they did. It wasn't those things that changed me. What changed my life was my putting one foot in front of the other and realizing that I'm not going to see a miracle every day. I'm not going to get a prophetic word every day. I'm not, yeah, I'm not, when it happens, it happens and it's glorious. But the truth of the matter is, every day I need to read the word. Every day I need to pray. Every day I've got to learn to love God with all my heart, soul, and mind and love my neighbor as myself. Whether or not I, there's an immediate reciprocation for my act of worship or act of love or act of care. Does that make sense? That's what came out of this chapter to me today. I'm sure there's a lot of details in here that, that have incredible significance. But I'm not going to sit here and pretend that I'm Jewish enough to figure that stuff out. I'm looking into it. But I can tell you what God spoke to me here was that at the end of the day, at the end of the day, I'm going to be in that crowd where he says, enter into the joy of your Lord. When I was hungry, you fed me. When I was thirsty, you gave me water. When I was naked, you clothed me. And the crowd's going to say, but Lord, when did we ever feed you? When did we ever give you water? When did we ever give you clothes? He says, when you did that to the least of these, you did it unto me. Well done. And there's other group of people who are going to say, but Lord, we prophesied. We healed. They did all these Christian things and there were signs and wonders mixed in that little thing that they said. And he says, yeah, but I never knew you. Depart from me, you wicked, to the fire prepared for the devil and his angels. So while these miracles and these signs and wonders are incredible and not to be denigrated, not to be put down, but our faith is not in signs and wonders. Our faith is in the God who will visit us with these signs and wonders from time to time. I don't know if that makes sense. It makes sense to me. And it brings me great comfort to know that I know a God who sees me, whether or not I see him every day like this in Leviticus 9. I think that's where I'm going to hang my hat on this one for this morning. By the way, one last final thought. Uh, as some of you have noticed, I'm not doing Facebook Live anymore because I've been having technical difficulties that I just haven't been able to overcome. And I have experimented with these devotionals, preparing them and recording them. Um, I used to wake up uh, sometimes 3.30, 4 o'clock in the morning, and I'd get up and I'd do my devotional in the morning before I start my day. And But I've noticed that at nighttime, I've been having trouble sleeping sometimes. So I switched it up where now I'm recording and editing and getting it ready for broadcast the night before, just before I go to bed. So I'm getting my dose of scripture at night as the last thing of my day. And I see value in both times. But right now, I'm recording, thinking, pondering these thoughts 
at night before I go to bed. So when I lay my head down on the pillow, it's a, I can breathe out the tension and the garbage of the day and all is well. So folks, here's my coffee, a page, and I am out of here. Have a great day. God bless you. Bye-bye.